eighth lesson comes from John chapter 1, verses 1 through 14. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning the light, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. I have been a part of two interventions in my life. I don't know if you've ever taken part in an intervention an intervention is for someone that you love who is, whose life is spiraling out of control, but they don't realize their, light, their life is spiraling out of control or they deny that their life is spiraling out of control. And so friends and family members get together in a con- confrontational kind of way, but in a loving way to try to convince them that they need help. In both of the interventions that I was a part of, someone that I loved needed help And he didn't believe he needed help. In fact, if you've ever been a part of something like this, then you know this to be true, that trying to persuade someone that they need help when they don't think they need help is really, really difficult. It's hard to do. Well, the verses that I just read announce the greatest intervention that this world has ever known. But just like every other intervention, we need to be persuaded that our situation is beyond our control, that we are personally powerless to fix what's broken. I mean, we love to celebrate Christmas. I love to celebrate Christmas, but all too often we forget why Christmas was even necessary in the first place. Every instinct we have, every natural instinct that you and I have, cries out against the reality of personal powerlessness. In fact, everywhere we go, wherever we turn, we're told that we can accomplish anything, we can fix anything, we can mend anything if we just focus, if we just work harder, if we just do more. That if we would just set our minds to fixing the things that are broken in our life, we can fix them. We have the power to fix those things. Um... But if we look a little deeper, we can't escape the fact that we, all of us, the entire human race, needs outside help. A friend wrote this a couple years ago, and I found it incredibly appropriate 
for this evening. He said, the poet W.H. Auden once wrote, nothing that is possible can save us. We who must die demand a miracle. Many of the problems we face on a daily level can be fixed or at least addressed. If our car breaks down, we can take it to the garage. If we get a headache, we can take some aspirin. If we say something mean, we can apologize and so on and so forth. Auden's meaning becomes clearer when we consider problems of a less everyday nature. The kind that, the kind that keep us up at night, the, the kind that cause us to be sleepless. I was speaking with a friend recently who had just separated from his wife. He told me, I've done everything I can think of. Even couples counseling hasn't helped. She just doesn't want me. It's going to take a miracle to save our marriage. He had pursued, his friend had pursued all the right options and nothing had worked. The problem was simply beyond him. So it is with us. Our condition is not fixable. That is, we can empirically say that the solution to human nature has not been found in the realm of what's possible. Instead, we need a miracle to save us. Here's some additional proof that what he just said, what my friend just said, is, is true. Have you, have any of you, been able to eliminate fear and anxiety from your life? Okay, have, have you been able to rid yourself of your deepest insecurities? Uh, have you been able to satisfy your deep need to be fully known and unconditionally loved? Have you been able to do away with your feelings of regret and, and shame and, and guilt and those sorts of things? See, we've been trying for thousands of years, and we still can't cure the universal ache of loneliness and fear and emptiness and guilt and hopelessness and regret. The greatest minds, I said this this past Sunday, the greatest minds that humanity has produced has been spending thousands and thousands of years trying to fix the deep human problems that we face on a daily basis. Lovelessness loneliness, feelings of guilt and shame and regret, wishing we could go back in time and make different decisions, but we live in the present knowing that the damage has been done and there's nothing we can do about it. Relationships that have been broken that no matter how hard we try, we can't repair. Sure, we can take care of a headache when we can get our car fixed, like my friend said, but when it comes to the deep under-the-surface needs of humanity... We can't fix our own problems. We've been trying for years and years and years, for generations. And until we can admit how helpless we are, we will never see Christmas for what it truly is, a divine intervention. That's what John chapter 1 is speaking of, a divine intervention. In fact, I remember a number of years ago, I was reading through those verses and I was thinking to myself, the very fact that God came down himself speaks to the severity of our problem. I mean, isn't God coming himself a divine overreaction to the human problem? I mean, certainly he could have just given us some instructions on how to do things better and then we could have taken it from there and, and fixed it. We could have done it. But the very fact that God himself 
came and took on human flesh and frailty to do for us and to accomplish on our behalf what we could never do for ourselves and accomplish for ourselves tells us that the problem is severe. And we'll never fully appreciate the the beauty and the brilliance of what Christmas is until we first come to terms with our own powerlessness. You see, Christmas is supposed to be the most wonderful time of the year, but, but for many, it's the most painful time of the year. I mean, it's that time of year when budgets break, when you're reminded of how dysfunctional your family is, okay? When you miss the people you love who have either died or or left you. Maybe you're still single and Christmas is a painful reminder that you're alone and you can't find the love that your heart longs for or perhaps you and your spouse can't have children and seeing families together at Christmas only intensifies the ache of infertility. I've met all of these people along the way. For some of you, this is your first Christmas as someone who's divorced and figuring out how to shuffle your children back and forth between you and your ex on Christmas Day is a brand new pain for you. For others, you're afraid it will be your last Christmas because of your recent diagnosis or you're afraid it will be your last Christmas with your mother or your father because of their recent diagnosis. A lost job, a daughter who won't even call you on Christmas Day, a son you haven't talked to in years, a father who can't get sober, a sibling in rehab. I mean, Christmas reveals our deepest frustrations and our deepest fears. It reveals our most sincere sadness and sorrows, our our brokenness and our bitterness. Christmas exposes our desperation. But that's not all it does. It exposes our desperation, but it also announces our deliverer, the one who promised rest to weary and burdened people, the one who promises never to leave us, never to forsake us, the one who says that there is nothing we can do or fail to do that will ever cause God to abandon us because God's love for us is not dependent on what you do or what you fail to do. God's love for you is dependent entirely on what Jesus has done for you. In fact, Christmas tells us that God came into the real world, the real world of divorce and addiction and broken families and shame and stress and anxiety and depression and job loss and unfulfilled longings and crippling fears. I'll tell you what these verses tell us very plainly is that into our mess, God sent mercy. That's what those verses tell us. That into our darkness... Whatever that may look like for you, God sent light. In fact, and I love this point because this reverses what most people think Christianity is all about. You know, we assume that Christianity is for good people, clean people, well-behaved people. But Christmas tells us just the opposite. In fact, these verses tell us that God came not because we were asking him to come. In fact, he came and we rejected him. 
That's what these verses tell us. And Christmas sets in motion the divine pattern of God drawing near to us, not because we do it right, but because we keep doing it wrong. It's totally different than what many of us may have grown up hearing about God and about Christianity, that God comes close to the well-behaved, to the good, to the clean, to the strong. But that's not what Christmas tells us. It's not what these verses tell us. These verses tell us that, that God comes near to us not because we were doing it right, but because we couldn't stop doing it wrong. Christmas reveals a God who knows your deepest struggles and your darkest secrets. He knows all of the things that you don't want anyone else to know. And none of it, none of it causes him to blink or to bail. None of it. In fact, I love this. He came for you because of those things, not despite those things. It's not our cleanliness and our strength that summons God. It's, it's our dirtiness and our weakness that moved him to save us. That moved his light into our darkness. Christmas is the celebration of what the Apostle Paul said in Romans 5.20, that where sin is great, grace is greater. That you can never, ever outsin the coverage of God's forgiveness. It's mind-blowing because you can outsin the coverage of my forgiveness. <laughs> and I'm sure I can outsin the coverage of your forgiveness. We're conditional people living in a conditional world with other conditional people. But God's love for us is unconditional based on what someone has done for us. And because of that, we can never outsend the coverage of God's forgiveness. You see, if God's relationship to us were based on our performance, well then, God would have a limit as to what he would allow in terms of if you screw up five times, okay. But if you screw up 55 times, not okay. And I'm gonna have to kick you out. That's what we do, understandably, in a lot of cases. God's so different than us. One of the beautiful things about Christmas is that it reveals God is not us. That his ways are higher than our ways and his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. He's unlike us, which is good news. Christmas is a reminder that your worst days are never so bad that you are beyond the reach of God's grace and your best days are never so good that you are beyond the need for God's grace, ever. So for those who feel lonely and lost, anxious, abandoned maybe, for those who feel tired and tense, for those who are guilt-ridden and grieving, Christmas is for you, especially for you. Christmas is a glorious reminder that God's willingness to clean things up is infinitely bigger than our ability or our capacity to mess things up. 
Jesus is called Emmanuel, God with us. And what that means is that far from what a lot of people may believe, God doesn't come to rescue us from all of our pain. We are broken people living in a broken world with other broken people. And that means life in this world is going to be hard. It's going to be hard. And, and knowing God doesn't mean it becomes unhard. It's hard. But what Christmas tells us is that God moves into our darkness. And he promises that even though we may walk through the valley of the shadow of death, he is right there with us. It's not that God rescues us from all of our pain in this life, but he rescues us in it by reminding us that he will never leave us. He will never forsake us. Now that won't sound like good news to you until you realize how badly you need it. I mean, there is just no way for our hearts and our minds to be gripped and grasped by the radicality of this good news, by the hilarity of God's grace, until we first realize how desperate and weak we are, that we can't solve our own problems, that we're not the strong and self-sufficient people that this world tries to tell us we are. I don't know about you, but those times when I have felt furthest from God are those times when I have felt like I'm, I'm strong and I'm capable and I can do this on my own. And those times when I have felt closest to God are those times in my life when I have been flat on my back at the end of my resources, realizing that the only way out is up, that I can't fix this. I can't fix me. I can't fix her. I can't fix him. I can't fix this. That's when God gently reminds me that he is God and we are not. And like I said on Sunday, from the cries of a baby lying in a manger, God shouts, I got this. I got this. Let's pray together.